Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burugun campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Well, we continue our series uh, called The Way, and this week, Raising the Bar. We're continuing the series in the Sermon on the Mount, which is part of what we believe as a, as a ministry team that the Lord is, is wanting to do among us uh, in this place in some new ways. Very different to this time last week. This time last week, some very unexpectedly, I was in hospital. And uh, as you know, when you're in hospital, you kind of awake at all strange hours. And about 3 a.m., I, as I'd been progressively getting worse with the infection that put me in hospital, I'd been working on praying and reading and studying the passage that I've been given to speak on today. But as I lay in my hospital bed at 3 a.m., I just sensed the Holy Spirit starting to talk to me from that passage. And pretty much what I want to share with you this morning is what I feel he said to me then. And at the end of the message, you can decide whether it was the Holy Spirit or the medication. (laughs) Merle and I really love the beauty of God's creation. We love the beauty of God's world. We just enjoy it. We enjoy being by the ocean. Uh, We enjoy sunsets by the ocean or the river, enjoy walking by the river, enjoy the the beauty of the parts of the United States where our kids live, where we've been able to enjoy. And we love flowers, love taking photos of flowers and enjoying them. And when it comes to flowers, there's two. I love driving up, for example, to the silent retreat at New Norcia in spring when the the crops are in in bloom and the wildflowers are out, just stunning. And there's there's two ways you can enjoy this wonderful free gift from our Father. Thanks, Ed. That's where they are on the screen. You can either kind of take the drone view and fly over at a height and get a sense of the the whole field of wildflowers, or you can dive into the depths of one particular flower and the stunning beauty that God has put in each one. And studying Scripture, we can do the same thing. Studying Scripture, you can dive deep into the verses. And and, uh, Jesus' words, somebody once said, are are so amazing. They're so simple a child can understand them, but so profound, not enough PhDs will ever explore the full depth of them. If there's any part of the Sermon on the Mount that would justify diving in, it's the section that we've been given to do today. But we are most definitely in the drone. We are looking at the vista, the sweep of what Jesus is saying about the kingdom. Because as Simon pointed out to us in the first week, the Sermon on the Mount is nothing less than Jesus' explanation of the kingdom of God within us and around us. In fact, Simon reminded us that Jesus begins this sermon with the Beatitudes, as we call them, uh, the outline of the people who live in the smile of God, the makarios of God. And that turns our world upside down and shows us it is impossible for us to do on our own. Nick reminded us last week we're salt of the earth and we're the light of the world, but only when we're in his presence. See, we no more generate light than the moon does. The moon is beautiful, but it's only reflecting the light of the sun. It has no light of its own. We we only radiate light and love when we're radiating the light of his love. In the section of the, uh, the message that Jesus gave that day that we're doing today, he's actually on a flow. And there's many, many verses being allocated to me. 
But fear not, we are only going to concentrate on the last section because it's another part of his message where Jesus builds and builds and builds and builds and we'll look at the climax at the end. But just before we do, I wonder how many in the room remember learning that song about the wise man who built his house upon the rock. How many remember that? God bless you, you're as old as me. That's it. So, uh, And you know, the wise man who built his house on the rock was the one who heard what Jesus said and did put it into practice. Jesus says at the end of this message, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. That's in chapter 7, verse 24. So on one side of the coin, Jesus expects us to do what he is saying. Now, back in the day when we were getting uh, the Livingstone Foundation established and uh, June Pascoe was part of our, our support team when we were establishing Lifeline in WA with my radio program and she introduced me to a t-shirt which became one of my favourites. Here it is. Pobody's Nerfect. Uh, I love that. Pobody's Nerfect. You'll get it eventually. Just keep looking. It'll come to you, right? Because <laughs> nobody's perfect. We are so aware that nobody's perfect that it's part of our humour. So remember that coin. On one side, Jesus says, I expect you to do what I'm saying. On the other side, nobody's nerfect. Let's read the last little bit of the section for today that, of Jesus' words, the climax of what he's saying. We're reading from, John, uh, from Matthew 5 and starting at verse 38. It'll come up on the screen, uh, but if you have your Bible in another form, real or electronic, just follow along by all means. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants you, thank you. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, take over... I'll do that again. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Turn the other cheek. Hand over your coat as well. Go the second mile. Go the second 1.6093 kilometres. Love your enemies. And then finally, the climax, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Why is Jesus asking us to do the impossible? I think you can see now why we've chosen to call today raising the bar. It's really hard for us to grasp just the impact of Jesus' words to the listeners at his time. Both, both Simon and Nick reminded us that these were shattering words to them. These were not just, it wasn't the sort of gentle, quiet uh, understanding we've developed over 2,000 years of being familiar with these words. These were words that impacted the listeners. See, any Jew, for example, this go, go the second mile, any Jew doing their normal daily tasks, you could have been going to your daughter's wedding, you could have been attending your mother's funeral, 
No matter what you were doing, you could feel the touch of the broad blade of the Roman spear on your soldier, uh, on your shoulder, and you would then be required to carry their pack for one, one mile, mila stadia. So this distance. And Jesus says, no, don't just carry it one, carry it two. Now, the Romans were hated enemies, and I won't go into the dreadful things they did, but then think of those days. Herod's troops quite happily went out and slaughtered children on his command. So the Romans were hated for good reason, and Jesus says to them, don't just do the minimum requirement, love them, love your enemies. Some of you might have been in Perth when, uh, when Philip Yancey came and spoke here. He spoke on prayer and he was trying to illustrate how challenging these words of Jesus were and to try to convey the impact, he put four faces on the screen in the auditorium. And then he said, those are four of the faces of the men who flew the planes into the Twin Towers. And Jesus is asking you to pray for your enemies. Now we're at verse 48 but Nick left us at verse 16. So let's zoom back in the drone, get back to verse 16 and see what was happening. At this stage when Jesus is t teaching his disciples, <clears throat> the people are trying to work out who, who, who is this guy? Who is this young gun from Nazareth? Who is this young chippy from the bush? And they want to know, is he a rabbi or is he a revolutionary? And Jesus approaches that head on. He says to the disciples, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Now, the word abolish there means just loosen down. You know, like you pull all the guy ropes out and a tent just sinks down to the ground. Well, Jesus says, I haven't come to do that to the law. I've come to fulfill. And that literally means fill full. I am going to fill the law to its fullest. I am going to raise the bar. That's what I've come for. Throughout this whole section of Jesus' address, his words impact his listeners. And the first impact happens in verse 20. Jesus says to them, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that doesn't impact us because we're used to seeing the Pharisees as the bad guys in the black hats. And we somewhat unfairly actually, more than just Nicodemus were kind to Jesus in that group. But we, we think the Pharisees are bad guys anyway. So, oh, yeah, well, of course. But for those people, these were the A-list, keep the law, righteous people. They competed in their strictness of keeping the law. They had actually turned the Ten Commandments into 613 rules and 1,521 amendments. And I'm a, I'm a fisherman from Galilee listening to this, this great teacher and he says, well, your righteousness has got to exceed theirs and I would think I am doomed. But you see, Jesus was talking about a different righteousness. He was talking about a righteousness you can't earn with your 1,521 amendments, a whole different sort of righteousness that you receive now, there's a less obvious slap in the face in Jesus' words, but it's much more significant, and it's on the screen. This part of the Sermon on the Mount, the, the theologians call the six antitheses. And what Jesus does is take six bits of the law, and each time he says, you've heard it was said this, but I say that. You know, one, adultery, anger, all different. Six different bits of the law. You've heard it was said this, but I say this. 
The, the first bit, you've heard it was said, that's very standard. The, in those days, teachers of the law, in order to base their arguments soundly, would quote other teachers of the law, much like academic researchers do today. So they well, on what authority do you say that? Well, because of this one and that one and that one and that one. But then Jesus says, but I say, do you hear what he's saying there? I am the authority. I need, quote, no other teacher. It is so because I say it so. You've heard all of the teachers say this, but I say that. And what I say goes. Now, C.S. Lewis, some of you might be sitting in here this morning trying to work out this whole Jesus thing. What's he like? And that's very wise because Christianity stands or falls on Jesus. Christianity is not a religion. It is not a philosophy. It is a relationship to a risen Jesus. And if he doesn't stack up, it is religious Disneyland. So if you're trying to sort Jesus out, C.S. Lewis points out these statements of Jesus take away any option of saying, well, he was a great moral teacher. He says this to quote him, a man who is merely a, sorry, a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or a madman or something much worse. Well, Jesus says, I am the only one who needs my own authority. I am the authority. What was the reaction of the people? Well, in Matthew seven twenty-eight, it says, when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority not as their teachers of the law. See, the authority of this young man from Galilee was immediately evident. I say, and they somehow intuitively knew what you say goes. You see, whenever we come into contact with pure, totally unselfish love, something deep within us responds. Have you ever noticed that? You might come into contact with it in creation. You might come into contact with it in a bunch of other ways. For me, one of the ways I came into contact with what I would call pure, unselfish love was the birth of our first grandchild and every grandchild ever since. That's our first grandchild who's now 14, would you believe? <laughs> but that's Paul and Merle, of course, and our first little grandboy, our son hugging his mum who is holding her first grandchild. And the part of you that is responding now and can identify that in parts of your own lives is a part, see, those moments give us a glimpse into something that is much greater than our own human selves, something more vast than we can know in ourselves. And here's the thing, somehow deep down we just know this love is coming to us, not from us. You hold your grandchild and, and yes, of course, love responds from you, but initially you just sense this is a gift to us. This is love coming to us, not from us. If we read the demands of the Sermon on the Mount as if it has to come from us, as Simon reminded us, we only end up with two options. It's a very bleak document. We either end up with oppressive legalism, rules we can't keep, or frustrating idealism, motherhood statements we can't live. 
Jesus went the second mile. He gave to those who asked. He turned the other cheek. He loved his enemies. His life and teaching give a glimpse of what life is like in the kingdom of God. He revealed that fierce, relentless love of the Father who, though his name is blasphemed every day and is ignored every day and he's affronted every day and he's marginalised every day, he keeps on loving and loving and loving. That love that comes to us, not from us. See, Jesus is not coming to do away with the law. He's coming to scoop the law up and fill it full. He's moving us from law to love, but not love that comes from humans. Love that comes from God. Agape love, as the Greeks called it. A special name for that sort of love alone. And it's Paul who came, Paul who was the, the grade A lawkeeper, came to see this that this love comes from God. This right relationship comes to me as a gift from God. And so he wrote, love, agape, received love, is the fulfilment of the law. In Jesus' six antitheses, what he's really doing, it's a little bit like being in the, the, the ring sparring with someone who's a really good boxer. <laughs> Every so often you just get boof, 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 boof. Six times he just keeps hitting people and raising the bar, deliberately raising the bar again and again. We won't go into it this morning, but he deliberately raises the bar again and again and again until he gets it to where no one can get over it. Finally, be perfect as your heavenly Father is. The bar is set at God's perfection. And as the listeners sat there and would have thought, that's impossible. We can't do that. Jesus would have said, bingo, exactly. That's the point. You can't do this. Philip Yancey puts it this way, having fallen from the absolute ideal of God's perfection, we have nowhere to land but the safety net of absolute grace. No, we can't be perfect. Having fallen from that, we have nowhere to land but in the safety net of absolute grace. You know, that feeling of I'm falling and, oh, Lord, you better catch me. There's a Bible word for that. Faith. Faith. See, that, what that young woman's doing is a very good illustration of faith. Many, many years ago, I had to speak at a Keswick convention down in Rowlands, and uh, I was, it was on faith, and I was looking for an illustration of faith, and the story about our boy Brett came to me that many of you have heard, so I'll keep it very brief, but he was an escape artist as a baby. He was Houdini, and he was escaping from the safety cot in which he was supposed to be trapped, and so I, I uh, hid to see what he was doing and saw him escape, saw him try to wake his brother who didn't want to wake up. So then he just gently climbed up onto the top of the wardrobe, discovered the Monopoly and was throwing the Monopoly money off uh, onto the floor. He's still a little fella in, in nappies. And uh, I came out to tell him this was not appropriate. So I came out ready to give the lecture and he saw me and I'm his dad. So he went, Tutu, which was his word for daddy, and jumped. So I went from this to this. But the Lord said to me, Graham, that's faith. He didn't jump and call his father, but when he saw his father, he jumped. Faith is trusting God, completely trusting God. It is not adding God to the life you're running. Not adding a bit of forgiveness here, a bit of empowerment there. 
It is fully, completely trusting God. God is not an apply-when-necessary emollient. He's foundational. What is shaping your life? So many things shape our lives, don't they? Our lives can be shaped by trying to prove ourselves to someone, maybe someone long dead, but their opinion still governs your life. Our lives can be shaped by insecurity, so we cling to what impoverishes us. Our lives can be shaped by fear, so we live confined. Can be shaped by the opinions of others. Can be shaped by trying to appease a God who we see as some sort of divine account keeper. What's shaping your life? I promise you this. If you are shaping your life, ultimately you will be unfulfilled. You will be unfulfilled. Are you shaping your life or are you being shaped by the loving Father who created you and knows exactly how you should be? Being exactly who he created you to be. I was walking around the ward during my hospitalisation and I, I was in St Catherine's ward and I saw a picture of St Catherine of, uh, where was she from? Siena, St Catherine of Siena. And next to it, these words, be who God made you to be and you will set the world on fire. Be who God made you to be and you'll set the world on fire. The word be perfect is actually the Greek word teleos, and it, and it actually, it means complete or mature, but it originally came from the world of machinery. And if a machine was teleos, it was complete in all its parts. The engineers in the room would go, oh, that's fantastic. Everything, no more than is necessary, everything doing exactly what it's supposed to do. See, teleos, being perfect, always has to do with purpose. The machine does what its purpose is. And for a person to be teleos, to be perfect, they are fully realising the purpose for which they were created and sent into the world. Last week, Nick reminded us we are God's masterpiece. He created us to shine light, to shine his light. He created us to do good works in Christ Jesus, which God prepared in advance for us. You're, it's already prepared for you. He has a shape for you. He sent you into this world with a purpose. You were created to love like God loves in his image. You were created to give like God gives. You were created to forgive like God forgives. You were created to be as free as God is free. And you were created to do it in your own unique way. No one else can. It is just for you. Are you who you are shaping you to be or who your loving father created you to be? You know, Paul, the great law keeper, he explains how he went from one to the other. Paul says it this way. My ego is no longer in control. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. 
I am no longer, I'll say that again, it's no, lo- it's no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion and I am no longer driven to impress God. I quit being a lawman so I could be God's man. Paul says, I'm not trying to impress God anymore. I'm not trying to impress you anymore. I'm not trying to be a lawman anymore. I have become God's man. Christ's life showed me how I can do this. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, that's the Peterson translation of a passage that you would probably know much better in this format. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith, by completely trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Completely trusting in Jesus, the way Jesus completely trusted his father. You see, Jesus didn't only raise the bar in his teaching, he raised the bar of his cross for us. He prayed for his enemies from that cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And now he says to you this morning, take up the bar yourself, take up your cross Completely trust me. Completely trust me. And I think that's what the Lord is asking for some of you in the room this morning. What does it mean to take up my cross? It means what he wants is the central deciding factor of my life. Of course I still make decisions. Nick gave us that helpful illustration sometime last year, I think, of uh, his dad used to let him sit in his lap and hold the steering wheel as the car was driven from the front gate to where it stopped next to the house. So Nick wasn't in the passenger seat with his feet up on the dashboard, Dad doing everything. And Nick wasn't driving, but he was in his father's arms, being guided by his father. I think the Lord is calling some in the room this morning to that sort of freedom, to let go of the things that are impoverishing you. The kingdom of God is stirring among us, It's time to pick up our feet and go where the river of God wants to take us. Final thing, why did Jesus raise the bar? He raised the bar to deliver us from two very dangerous deceptions. The first one, he he wants us free of anything that makes me believe I have arrived or I can arrive. Jesus wants me to be free of anything that makes me think I can do it. If I just try a bit harder, I'll impress God one day. Surely I'll be... Isaiah says, our best efforts are just grease-stained rags next to the purity of God. This righteousness is not earned, it's received. But it's received by those who totally trust and surrender. And the second one, which is far more common, I think, is those who doubt the love of the cross. Not me. I've just slipped too many times. I've fallen too many times. I've struggled with this thing for too long. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Never think you can make it on your own, but never doubt the love that took Jesus to the cross and the total victory that his death and resurrection has won for you. Give up 
your shaping of your life and allow the Father to put you on his lap and shape your life to where he wants it to go. I wonder if the worship team would return. When we were down at the staff retreat, Nick uh, just felt led in one of our worship times to sing a song that we haven't sung for many years. And I was very strongly convicted that we should sing it this morning. So I'm going to, in a moment, I'm going to ask the worship team to sing it through for us once. Many, almost all of you, I'm sure, will know it. And if not, it is very, very straightforward to pick up. But as they sing for a start, would you just listen and be with God in this moment and say, Lord, I can't be perfect, but I can be yours. I can't generate this love, but I can receive it. And then when you've listened to the team sing it to us once, I'll ask you all to stand and we'll sing it together a couple of times and then I want to lead you in a, in a special prayer. Let's just listen to the team together. I stand, I stand in all of you. I stand, I stand in all of you. Holy God, to whom all praise is due, I stand in all of you. description to marvelous for words to wonderful for comprehension like nothing ever seen or heard and who can grasp your infinite wisdom and who can fathom the depth of your love? You are beautiful beyond description. Her majesty enthroned above. And I stand, I stand in of you. I stand. with us as we sing it again you are beautiful beyond description to wonderful for comprehension oh like nothing ever seen Your infinite wisdom 
presence of our Lord because he is here. He said, wherever two or three of you gather in my name, I'm right there. I'm right there. As he shows you his nail-scarred hands, how about you resign from being God and allow him to scoop you up, place you in the Father's lap, and say, here we go, Father, another one of mine, another one of ours. Father, we do say to you this morning, search us and know our hearts. Try us, know our anxious thoughts, all our anxieties, Lord, where we are clinging to things that won't support us. And lead us in your way, Yahweh. Father, we want the kingdom to stir within us and break out from us. We want to leave this room different to the way we walked into it. Yokes broken, lives set free. For you said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to give good news to the poor, setting at liberty the ones that are bound, freedom for the captives, to give beauty for ashes and joy for mourning and praise for heaviness. And so, Lord, we surrender and we thank you that if the Son sets us free, we are free indeed. So church of the living God, be free, stand free in the freedom with which he, which he purchased for you with his blood. Stand free in his resurrection and let the Father, the loving Father, shape you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.